right. Welcome to episode 13 of Real Women Real Estate. This episode will be featuring women's health and speaking with Dr. Angelica Garrett-Wood. This pandemic has been described as a disaster for feminism by writers at the Atlantic. Gender dynamics are front and center, and this is tough on women at home during the pandemic. On this Mother's Day week, yay, we have a special guest to discuss the women's health during COVID. And before we introduce her, the quote for the day is, when women take care of their health, they become their best friend by no other than Maya Angelou. So Dr. Garrett Wood is an assistant professor and serves as an assistant student clerkship director for the Department of OBGYN at Meharry Medical College. Dr. Garrett Wood completed her undergraduate training at Xavier University of Louisiana. Thank you. She received her master's degree from Hampton University. She obtained her medical degree at, Medi at Meharry Medical College. She completed her residency training at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And Dr. Wood is a wife and a mother to three daughters. When she's not mentoring her students, she enjoys just quality time with her family. And thank you so much for, for being here, Dr. Garrett. We really appreciate you on this Mother's Day weekend. Uh, Mother's Day week, and as a mother yourself, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on. I also want to note that you are an advocate for women's health. You're an advocate for women's rights and the women's right to choose. Um, and you've also established an endowment uh, created by you and your husband, Dr. Wood, Dr. Judson Wood, uh, for a scholarship uh, funded by you all for young medical students as well. Medi so not only, I'm sorry? Medicine and dental. Okay. Medicine, medicine and dental. Thank you for that. So not only are you an advocate for women's rights, but also promoting uh, young doctors coming up and an advocate for, for women's health, and which is what we're all about. And that's what this episode is all about. So uh, we are in the midst of our generation's first and hopefully only global pandemic. And I think I speak for just about everybody when I say that stress levels are at an all-time high. So we really just want to get your opinion on, from a high-level overview, what are the effects of stress on the body? And does stress impact women differently than it does men? Well, stress as a whole can have overall negative effects on, on the body in general. I'll speak from a woman's perspective because I haven't dealt with the male anatomy since I was in medical school, right? So <laughs> all that stuff is kind of out the window. But um, so with regards to stress, well, first thing, stress can change a woman's cycle, her, her menstrual cycle. Um, she can, you know, be thrown off, be irregular, um, have heavier bleeding. It can affect her uh, premenstrual or menstrual syndrome. So if someone is uh, moody during their cycle or, you know, may experience maybe like a lot of like cramping or abdominal pain, that can be intensified by stress and more stress and stressful situations. Stress has also been linked to gastric ulcers. Obviously, if you are stressed, you're not sleeping well, you may not be eating correctly. So all of those play a role you know with regards to diet and, and um healthy overall lifestyle i just wanted to understand like you know kind of what you're answering like what's the effects of of stress on the body in general and yeah. if it you know impacts differently than men and i understand what you're saying as far as you know you don't really work with the male anatomy <laughs> so well, we'll take yeah, that leg up women we take uh, you know stress also can affect fertility you know because if you're you're stressed out and you're and it throws up your mental cycle 
then it throws off your ovulation cycle, then that throws off your fertility and, and able to, you know, conceive in your normal pattern. We have a lot of real estate entrepreneurs. We have a lot of real estate agents who either are working for themselves or, you know, working kind of like a, a high stress environment. And so we definitely want to speak to that, that audience. What are some signs we should look for within our bodies? if we feel like we may be experiencing a high stress environment or maybe like stress may be manifesting itself in a different way. So physical aspects of stress in females can be like hair loss. Like, um, do you mean like that? Like physical signs? Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. So yeah, like hair loss, like I said, changing your menses, um, headaches, stress headache, tension headaches. So those are typical headaches that occur either, you know, in the back of the head or in the, the temporal head. Let's see. And then if your stress leads you to panic attacks, you know, then you can talk about shortness of breath, palpitations, or you're feeling as if your heart is beat racing and, feel, and beating fast. Stress can also present itself in the form and lead to the form of, you know, early signs of depression. So then you're looking at signs of depression, like um, decrease in appetite, decrease in de the desire to do daily activities that you normally enjoy, you know, lack of sleep or or even if you're sleeping, you know, multiple hours out the day, not feeling as if you have gotten adequate rest. Weight loss is always a, a sign of stress or weight gain, depending on which which type of stress person you are. Some people are stress eaters, meaning they, you know, they 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 fall into the comfort foods of snacks and junks to help relieve stress. And then some people are stress starvers, and, and meaning that they have no appetite when they are under stressful situations. So those can present. That's me. That's me. That's me. Which one is stressful? Not stress starving. Starving. I think that's more common. The stress starving because you do. You then you'll see. You know, a lot of patients with weight loss and so forth. But it's just because you. You know, stress present. Your stomach can be all torn up in knots, and then it's like, how can you even feel like you're eating anything? You know. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I mean, and then it's it's always important to have, um, you know, I'm sure you'll probably get into this later, but it's always important to have like your circle that you can decompress and talk about your stressors with. And even if that is your, your physician, to have some type of relationship that you're able to feel comfortable confiding in some of the stressors that are weighing you down to help to see if, you know, outside resources are, are what you need. That was actually the next question. So you lead into the next question, you know, during this time with the pandemic and everything that's going on, what are some tips for managing stress and anxiety right now that you would give to some of your patients? Right. So what I give to myself, right? Because true never, to yourself, because woof, I've never worked there through a pandemic. I never thought I would, you know, walk into a pandemic and never thought about having to, you know, the potential to potentially infect or, or make my my loved ones sick every single day I enter the house you know that's that's a major a major um stress uh absolutely right so how are you but i think you know so it's important to still find enjoyment in the things in your the activities that keep you you sane you know some people it's not me i'm not an exerciser but some people you know find their their comfort in, in exercise my personal relief is me i just like i just need quiet time so even when you know i have a break from from my patients i like to just go in my offices and just chill out turn on my um laptop and catch up on some of my you know 
reality TV. You know, some you all you have to find something that you continue to enjoy. I mentioned that. So right now, I think this is one of your questions as well. But right now, you know, many physicians have cut down on the amount of patients that they're seeing in their office. But you don't want to forego certain visits that are important to you know keep your health maintenance to keep your health maintenance um up and that includes like your annual exam so like although we are like distancing or spacing out you know annual exams if you feel that you're at a point where your stressors are are overwhelming you and you need to get in and speak to your doctor those are important visits that we are seeing patients for that's good that you mentioned that because I was just thinking that, you know, nobody wants to go to the doctor's office right now because everyone's like, this is not a safe place to be. And so much of the news is saying, don't go to the doctor unless it's an actual emergency. But how do you know what's enough? Because I know that people are under stress. I'm under stress. Yeah. I, I have kids at home that I'm not used to caring for on a regular basis, on a 24, a 24-7 hour basis. Right. And I'm also trying to work and my husband's trying to work, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot to do and I can lot. see differences. Yeah, and I'm sure there are a lot of women that are, that are dealing with this right now and I can see difference. I can see differences in my skin. I can see differences in this, the pattern of my sleep. This has just changed me, changed my schedule around, just throwing everything off. And there are moments where I'm just like, well, is this, is this just the sadness or is this, you know, there's 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 these serious questions that you that you kind of think of, and and so that's good that you bring that up. So your advice is, if you are feeling like this, go ahead and call your physician and talk to them about it and decide whether you know you need to come in. Well, yeah, because and so and this one thing that the pandemic has has forced physicians and healthcare providers to do is become more innovative and use. Um, new methods to um, reach their patients. So a lot of us are doing um, uh, either televisits or televisit video conference visits. So even if you don't have to physically go in to see your doctor, the same way you have a Zoom meeting with your office, you can set that up with your physician. So you can see that I can see my patient face to face. I mean, uh, you know, as far as GYN issues that, you know, sometimes that's not as beneficial to us, but for certain things that you you may need to discuss, those visits work, you know, well with us or even with your primary care doctor. But I know a lot of women use <laughs> their primary care doctors. Yeah. But yeah, so we're, so if you if you're concerned about physically going into the office, I'm sure many offices, because ours has, and I, I know a lot of others have started to do these telemedicine, telemedicine televisits. Um, video conference visits as well. I'm just picturing somebody like on a Zoom call and saying, hey, doctor, look at this. What do you think? <laughs> and That's where my mind went to, Courtney. <laughs> no, but, but the thing about it is, I mean, it's no different than your friends sending you a picture of something. That <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> the only difference is what is on a, but it's on a secured line, though. So it's, right. it's, it's set up through, you know, the system so that it's a, a closed, a secure browser so but i try to discourage that if if, I, if it's something that you think i need to see then i, I need to see like actually like I don't don't, don't yeah don't just do that over the zoom yeah. call that's where my mind went 
too. No, I wanted I mean, to. It's the truth, though. I mean, yeah. I, as many emails that I've gotten with photos of things, you know, it happens. Oh, I can only imagine. Uh, yeah. I wanted to touch on something that you said earlier in regards to having a circle to kind of help manage your stress and anxiety. I know Kim and I had a moment earlier today where <laughs> uh, we had a client who kind of pulled the I'm overwhelmed card. Ooh. And <laughs> we can go there. <laughs> and it kind of brought up a a question like, hey, everybody's overwhelmed. Like, everybody's going through something. Like, how and this may be a little bit outside your wheelhouse, but like, how do you manage that conversation when people start to talk about feeling overwhelmed to the point where they can't do like business or they can't just do like, have like a regular conversation? Like, is that something, and this is from a non-doctor standpoint as well, just like as a homegirl, like what is your, what is your conversation when somebody starts to talk about feeling overwhelmed? Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> yeah, because I, I really did want to, so it's like, ma'am, get over it. But I know that's not healthy. So I mean, we'll, we'll leave to you. That's, that's, that's hard to say though, because like, I'll give you- It depends on the situation, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree. So like for, I'll give you an example. So for example, I worked all the way up until my water broke with my daughter and I would have my patients who were pregnant come in at like, 20 something 28 weeks talking about i need to come out of work because you know I, my back hurts because i'm sitting or something and i'm thinking to myself i'm still doing surgery and everything but you want me to take you out of work right so you have to take into account other people's situations but also disengage yourself from their situation right because not everybody can handle the same things that you can right so it's easy to project to project your own thoughts of how someone should be handling their situation right but the way that they need to handle the situation may be differently. So as a homegirl, I try to listen and offer my advice or help where I can. But then if it gets to the point where I just feel like it's, you're just, oh, woe is me, then I'm also going to be the homegirl to be like, okay, you got, you got to snap out of it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that, you know, the moment that Kim and I had was like, as women of color, I feel like oftentimes we do a lot of like pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and kind of like take it on the chin and keep pushing. But I could think of several instances and, you know, not saying this is a race thing, but I could think of several instances where I've seen people like Kim or Courtney or like other women of color who are like really out here doing it, like, like do some amazing things as women and as mothers and, you know, not really complain, not think twice, just kind of take it and keep going. And so, you know, it is a different perspective to be like, okay, everybody has to reframe it. But also, I just want to give women of color that space to say it's okay to feel like you're overwhelmed and don't think you have to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, well, it's a cultural thing, right? Because your mothers did it, their mothers did it, and so forth, right? So it's, it's, it's engraved in, in the black woman or women yeah. of color to feel as if, you know, they have to handle the world and pick up and keep going without missing a beat, right? And there's no, no time to to mourn, no time to, to, to wallow, right? You just have to feel like you have to keep going. That's just what we kind of have ingrained in us. But that's why you need that group of friends that you can that can listen to you vent for your five, 10 minutes or whatever, and then you go right back on without your day, right? Everybody needs that, that set of friends that they can just 
you know, let it out real fast and pick up and keep moving. Without judgment, you know what I mean? Without judgment, to be able to just have a free and a safe space to vent. So no, that's real. So our next question, just kind of want to dive into, how has your practice changed since the start of the pandemic? Yeah, I kind of started talking about that. Yeah, so, you know. And, And then touch on, have you and then in regards to the front lines you know have you have you gone through with testing and you know some of those things like that you know how have you been in the front in the front lines sure so i I was kind of talking about it with our practice you know we we've um spaced out the um the visits a day so typically we would try to stack them so um ob patients we would see every 30 minutes gyn patients we would see every hour um, we've stacked, we've spaced that out. So maybe I'm seeing, instead of seeing about, you know, 10 patients in the morning and 10 in the afternoon, I'm probably seeing about half that in the morning, half in the afternoon, because, um, the room has to be fully turned over more completely than it was before. Not saying it wasn't, it wasn't thoroughly clean, but it's like extra, extraness that has to go into preparing the room for the next patient and the screening. So each patient has to be screened before they even enter into the hospital, before they even enter into our clinic. So that takes some time as well. Um, We've uh, incorporated televisits. So, you know, using, um, talking on the phone or the Zoom video. Um, And then I've also had, I've also actually, you know, postponed some people's visits, you know, for example, annual annual exam woman a visit for a 21 year old um and her if her pap smear is current but she just wanted std testing okay i can just order that to the for you for the lab you don't physically have to come into my office things like that um i've spaced out ob visits so typically like you know i would see my uh first trimester and second trimesters every four weeks well i've spaced that out to like six weeks so you know some of those things have changed that you know we may consider doing as we move forward in this pandemic is over um, with regards to my front line, uh, well, Meharry, well, Meharry is and is a testing site, a COVID drive-by testing site. So I did operate that for a few days. Um, now, actually, um, our president has um, taken over all the testing sites in Nashville, and he has charged. Wow. He has told the mayor that Meharry will uh, staff all of these sites. So now we're going to see how that's going to work work out because there's about four four sites in Nashville that now we're going to have to take over. Um, regards to actual patient contact, I've had a handful of, of COVID pr- uh, pregnant women just delivered one the other day. Um, she did well, baby did well. Um, and was she able to like breastfeed her baby? Like was that a normal, you know, after? Yeah, so, so she was, uh, she was just so she was 100% positive. She had a positive test. She was short of breath and, breath and had a cough and she was satting, meaning that her oxygen saturation or what we measure the amount of oxygen in the blood was um, about 88% without any oxygen. So normally a normal person like you and I talking, our oxygen saturation is between like 97 and 100%. So she was down to 88% like talking you and I. So that means like we had to give her, you know, supplemental oxygen and we were able to do it through just the nose and not being her needing to be intubated. So with that, a truly COVID positive patient, ideally you want to talk to them about discouraging the actual act of breastfeeding, meaning the meaning placing the infant directly to the nipple, but the breast milk itself, 
is still, you know, the best choice for, for babies. So there hasn't been any study to date showing that the COVID virus transmits from breast milk. However, you know, some women need that direct breast contact in order for their milk to stimulate, you know, sometimes the pumping doesn't help some women. So then if that's the case, you have to, you know, it's the mom's decision to weigh exposure versus the desire to breastfeed, right? So if she desires to physically, the act of breastfeeding, then you encourage, you know, she wears a mask while she's breastfeeding. Good hand sand, it's good hand, um, hand washing and, and, and cleanliness. And then once she's done, once the baby's done, then immediate um, isolation again. So she, um, but uh, because she was on oxygen and not able to hold her own saturation without oxygen, she ended up having to be separated from the baby and she went in, so they went into isolation. Oh, wow. So once, once the baby is put into, once mom and baby gets separated, unfortunately at our hospital, that means the baby was put in general population or with all the other normal healthy babies. So then mom could not no longer go see that baby because it would then expose the, all the other babies. So the baby. they were reconnected um, at, on, on their third day when they got dismissed together. Um, how long does this take? Like how long does this last within the body? Like when will she be re? You know, when will you be reunited with your child? Is there so she was studies reunited. to that? She was reunited when she went home. So okay. So I so I what I understand what you're saying. So when she got dismissed on day three, baby was doing well. Baby was dismissed. They were dismissed together. Now what they do at home is is all you can do is advise her to self isolate until her symptoms. You know improve or the Mm -hmm. or the 14 days right but as a mother how can you self-isolate from your newborn baby right exactly you're the you're it's you miss that bonding time you missed you're probably the one who's doing most of the care for the early newborn anyway right so then Mm -hmm. it was just you know we sent her home with massive amounts of masks and we just you know reiterate you know hand washing and, and all of that pray and just you know a prayer that the baby doesn't um bind up with the virus so if you are right now if you have a birthing plan and this birthing plan was in place prior to covid and we've been trying to get pregnant we're doing in vitro we're doing all these things or maybe we're just have trying to have a natural pregnancy right now are you advising a hold off on on your pregnancy plan and change your plan altogether or are you saying go through with your plan so unfortunately the if for women who are doing ivf their plan has been made for them um ivf is not happening right now that's seen as an elective um procedure and we have and we have not well we are just now starting to get back in the phase of doing elective procedures so from about march to you know, Friday, we have not been doing any elective procedures. So any patient that was in the IVF phases during those time, basically their IVF was shut down and um, they were just left with medications and drugs and off their schedule. So I don't know how many people have been through IVF or no, but you know, it's a very expensive process. And once you're in it, to be, to have to have yourself withdrawn from it, it it's, obviously disheartening and it costs a lot of money um right you know, I was so that's that like it costs so a lot of money. Are they, how are they redoing that they gotta they have to pay all over again for that because it isn't a very expensive process i i know a couple of people going through it now right so i don't know i, they were still I can't speak it. to how i can't speak to how um practices have worked that out 
but I can only imagine that they would um, have to, you know, you're starting over because with IVF, there's um, certain times that you have to, you know, use certain hormones to trigger the response and it it's all has to be calculated on days. So once you're off of the, the schedule, it's basically like you're not even doing it. So you are have to, you have to come back in and start again. Um, so I can't speak to how, how the, the financial aspect of that is, but I'm sure it's a burden to, to the patients. But if you, you know, if you're blessed to be able to conceive naturally, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't delay, you know, your desire to conceive based off of, you know, the COVID, um, COVID-19. I was asked, you know, if, if, if when the vaccine comes out, should pregnant women get it? And I'm going to be an advocate and say, I don't know the answer to that because we don't know the type of vaccine that it will be. Um, certain vaccines you cannot give in pregnancy, like um, live vaccine. So live vaccine is like chicken box vaccine that we give children or the measles, MMR vaccines, those type of vaccines you can't get in pregnancy, but you can get like a flu vaccine or a hepatitis B vaccine in pregnancy. But we don't know how the COVID vaccine is going to, you know, what is it going to be composed of? I wouldn't delay, you know, my first, my plans if I'm able to, you know, naturally you know, conceive. Well, what I would say, my advice for women who are currently pregnant now is know your your doctor's practices um, rules and know the rules of the hospital that you are, are trying to deliver at. For example, um, many uh, doctor's offices are, are not letting you, is, are only seeing the patient. So you can't have an, an extra person at your visit. Um, and I know for a fact, one of my colleagues, you know, his um, wife is pregnant. He found out the hard way when he went to go for the ultrasound that he wasn't allowed to go back because they're only, we're only just seeing the patient to minimize exposure. Um, and many hospitals, ours included, you can only have one support person. So nowadays women are using doulas and having their significant other partner, whatever, you would have to choose between who would who's your, who's the person that's going to be there with you. So I would recommend knowing your the hospital you want to deliver at their their policy, the visitor policy, moving for your forward. birthing plan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my niece my niece was just born on April twentieth, and we did a Zoom, a family Zoom, uh, to see the baby be born. And luckily, my brother got a chance to be there, but it was very unique <laughs> yeah. different and weird yeah it was i mean yeah luckily she was healthy baby's healthy everything's fine but you know i just imagine like problematic birth like having to not being able to be there for the mother and the child so. yeah so even with the patient that i just delivered that was covid19 positive her husband was allowed in the room he was he he, he was negative but i mean he was you know dressed in his own ppe yeah. as well i have to tell my daughter good night sorry this is our Mother's Day episode, Aww. so and yeah, our this is Mother's Day week, so right. yes, so we're this is a, a celebration of that, and this is um, it's real that my kids are in the background right now doing God knows what while we're on here. So it's 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 all very real, and and this is exactly what we're living. We're living this right now, and we're the chosen ones to kind of go through this right now. So I guess there's something to be said about our strength and. You know, we won't go through anything that we can't handle. So, yeah. well, I want to change, change gears just a little bit, right? And yeah, let's, so lighten the, let's lighten the mode. 
and this is kind of a taboo issue. I really don't understand why it's a taboo issue to talk about women's health and women and, and sexuality, but it is a taboo issue, um, especially in our community. So I want you to kind of touch on that. And then this, what are some things, talk to us about the libido and increasing the libido and why is it taboo for women, but not so much for men? Well, I'll cycle up the second part first. So I think sex and sexual health in, in with regards to women is just the way society has played it. It's played its, you know, patriarchal role in um, sexual health for women, um, where men feel like they can control a woman's body and a woman's, that, that's, that has to do with women's rights to choose, even with, you know, desiring to carry a pregnancy or not. I feel like, you know, we, the, the judicial system of white, the white man wants to control what a woman does with her body and sexuality also fits under their thumb of control. Um, there's not oh, there. There's right. Not, <laughs> there's not um, as you you see. There's not you know. Ideally, it would be easier for you know to have a, a male birth control pill than a, a female birth control pill. But it's easier, or it's you know, it takes the power away from a man, right, to control the the body of a, a female. Um, there's drugs and so forth that are made specifically to enhance a man's um, sexual arousal or performance, but those drugs are, you know, left behind for women. So um, there's there naturally, you know, the things that you, you can do to increase your the libido would ideally would be, you know, to have the desire you have to, you want to have a sexual desire. Um, so we were already talking about stress. So if stress is a major impact in your life, you're not going to want to, your, your sexual desire is not there, right? Your libido hmm. is not there. Don't be like it off um, me. Get away from me. Right. As women, <laughs> as we mature in life, you know, estrogen is what drives, you know, our libido. So as you mature in life, your, your estrogen levels decrease. So there's been studies looking at, you know, giving back estrogen to increase your, your sexual desire. But that's been linked to, you know, negative health effects, you know, increased risk of stroke, increased lift, risk of, you know, clots in your legs and your lungs. So those aren't good choices. Um, so women are basically left with psychosocial um, ways to improve libido. So talking to sex therapists, talking to counselor, talking about mental and sexual health with, with your provider. But there, um, or you can look into, you know, more natural remedies like herbs and stuff, but honestly, they haven't been evidence-based proven to work. A lot of women don't want to talk about, you know, sex anymore because it, a woman's sexual desire is not the same as a man. Some women can go, you know, days, months, weeks, years without, you know, having sex and don't seek anything is wrong with you know not having sex and you know at least at least half of women have never had you know a true orgasm in their life that is not talked about as well you know i think i think when you talk about sexual health you you have to be comfortable in in your skin in and with yourself to talk about talk about talk about sex and that's what a lot of women are missing that's just feeling comfortable enough to even bring up the conversation to their OBGYN about sex and exactly. I, I ask the question, but if your answer is, oh, everything's fine or, or, you know, a one word answer, then who am I to keep drilling you on something that you gave me a one word answer for, you know? Exactly. No, I appreciate that. Because, you know, I think it's twofold, right? So you either 
you know, want desire that sexual, you know, have that sexual need and and wonder what's happening. I think after you have children, I think after you have kids, I, I imagine this, have a woman with kids that your body changes. Absolutely. You know, and your physical appearance of how you look yourself in the mirror. You, yeah. you don't, you, you may not even think yourself as sexually desirable. You see, you see um, marks that weren't there before, you know, scars, maybe weight, you know, all of those things play a role in your desire to, to feel sexy and want to even engage in sex. And then if you don't have a partner that, you know, reinforces or, or try to, you know, lift up your, how you feel negative about yourself, then it's like, if he's just trying to stick it in, it's not going to work for you. Women need, <laughs> but women need foreplay. Absolutely. Women need their engines revved up before the, the action can start. A man, you can just look at him, and then he's ready to go. That's not how a woman's body works. A woman yes. just look at him. We talk about setting the mood on accident all the time. Just walking by and accidentally setting the mood. I didn't mean to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of a body, a woman's body, and how it works, Ebony had a question about that, too. I thought I was going to ask that. <laughs> no, but you answered that before. We asked that offline about you know, certain food to help oh, sexual right. performance. Yeah. And you, you answered, you said, I said, you are what you eat. So I, that is, that's very true though. If you take in a lot of, you know, garlic and acidic food, like all of that changes the pH of the vagina. Now, eating pineapples is not gonna allow, have your vagina taste like pineapples, but it may have a, lo a little bit of a sweeter taste versus a more acidic taste, okay? It's not about like, oh, I ate a pineapple, he gonna taste pineapples. Let's not, let's not think. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I, think, I think one important note you just touched on is like, you are what you eat, and then you add on like how women's um, libido is really tied to how we feel and like our how how we are mentally and you add back to what we talked about earlier about women um carrying stress and manifesting stress in a different way it almost sounds like if you aren't really taking the steps to do self-care especially during the pandemic you probably not you know it's not a it's not a good ecosystem yeah, right right yeah. yeah and then you're like stuck in the you're stuck in the house. You can't do the things that you normally do to make yourself feel good. My eyebrows look crazy. My toenails look like fingernails. My nails look crazy. And I haven't have a, had a grooming in that area, right? So what makes me want to go out and, I, and, and have sex, right? right. Like, I'm yeah. looking at things like there's like a pathway to hell down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think there's some grace that needs to be passed around for ourselves and for each other. Um, and, you know, again, just to kind of harken back to what you said before about sisterhood and having a circle. Like, that's important. Because everybody's eyebrows are messed up, sis. Like, <laughs> we are yeah. out here struggling. <laughs> and, and, and just not real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, go ahead, Ebony. Oh, well, I, you, we talked about in your, your intro about how you are an advocate for women's health, of course, um, but also we want to talk a little bit about um, access to healthcare. I know there are a few listeners who have foregone, you know, um, healthcare because the only option would be private healthcare, especially, you know, in the entrepreneurial realm um, where you don't have that corporate America benefits package. So what ends up happening is first thing to go is insurance. 
Um, can you speak on the importance of access to health care uh, from a preventative standpoint, not necessarily like once it's too late, but just from a preventative standpoint? Right. So for, for women, ideally, if you if if you in your age group, so, you know, let, let's talk about our grades. We're not quite yet 40. So we're, you know, before 40, the most important things to get is, is your pap smear, which screening we do every five years depending on your history and the results of the test and um, std screening you know yearly these services can be done at planned parenthood which is why we need planned parenthood you know planned parenthood is not just for uh, termination of pregnancy it is for women's health services that are affordable to you know the average person who doesn't have insurance um me, working in academic medicine is different than working, you know, in um, private practice. Academic medicine um, and, and working at a city hospital, like, you know, uh, it's, we have what's called indigent care. So patients who come in without insurance, they can sign up through the hospital for indigent care to, you know, to cover the cost of their um, insurance or of their medical um, procedures procedures and, and surgeries, um, which is paid from, you know, the city budget. But again, that's not, I'm not in a private practice. In a private practice, that can't work, right? Because you, you're trying to make revenue because you have to feed, you know, your your staff and, you know, yourself, right? Um, you know, taking advantage of Obamacare when it was, when it was, you know, the enrollment, that helped a lot of folks with, you know, being able to have access. But um I feel like I just want women to realize that, you know, Planned Parenthood is not strict. It's not just for medical termination. If you don't have insurance and you don't have a OBGYN or, or another women's health provider, you know, that is a resource that you can use and is a resource that's affordable as well. And it is important, you know, to get your pap smears and your, you know, when you hit 40, your annual mammograms. So those are some, those are things that you just should not, um, you know, put off because, you know, the pap smear has, is, is our best tool to prevent cervical, cervical cancer. And, you know, to have to get it once every five years, you know, in a normal patient who has normal screening, you know, that that's different than having to use to get it every year. So once every five years is, is, you know, is, is, is feasible for someone to do. My thing is, there's so many Black OBGYN females out there that you can choose from. You know, why aren't you choosing someone that looks like you? Yeah. You know, like yeah. we are at the forefront of trying to make sure our Black women stay healthy during pregnancy and delivery. So why wouldn't you go to someone who looks like you? It's like, it's like our people sometimes think in medicine that white is right, and that's not that's not always. The, that's not always the case. You know, I'm very well trained. You know, I trained at Mayo Clinic. That's the number one um, uh, OBGYN program in the United States, you know, and yet and still I have, you know, patients that look like me that don't want to choose me because they look like me. You know what I mean? Like, that's sad. But it, it's it's very true though. It's it's the stigma that you know we have kind of internalized in our in our in our own selves. Like in order to get the best care, my doctor you know has to be you know Caucasian, and and that's I feel like we place that on ourselves. I think for um, for me, I would I would want somebody that is a bulldog that's just gonna go out there and, and fight. You would think you look at reviews first when you go yeah, out to seek this, but it's not like that. People look at race. Race first. 
Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's facts. It, it's like, I could do a study on it. But, it, but, if, I'm, but if, if you polled, polled your audience and asked them how many um, women had a black um, OBGYN, I, I wonder what the percentage would be. Well, I'm we'll have to throw that out there. We'll have to pose. We'll have to pose that and throw that out there and see what people say. I know that I, I um, and I in think the area younger, where demographics I, are just a little different. I also think younger women, or well, see, I call ourselves younger, um, but in our age group, I think we typically are seeking out um, African American women physicians and, and so forth because you know it's a it's a different movement for us. But like Absolutely. Our, our parents and oh up oh, I guarantee you they have probably an old white man. So real quick because this is let me switch subjects real quick on real estate. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, this is a real estate podcast. So we we go a little real estate. Um we talk about social economics of access to healthcare. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But we know that you are in the process of building a custom home rather than buying a pre-built home. What made you choose wanting to build a home versus buying a pre-built one? And then on top of that, what have you, what is the process? What have you learned in that process? Jesus. Um, I, I, I know I, I told my husband that I wanted like certain things. Like I wanted a, a large backyard for the kids so we can have a pool and stuff like that. And living in Nashville, when, when you say pre-built homes, to, that's like all the suburbs, little subdivisions. And then all the houses are all like, you know, stacked up on one another, not much room, not much space. So we were always looking for land to to be have some space between us and our neighbors. And so I, we didn't find any land in um, developments that that had pre-built homes, I guess, is that is, is what I'm trying to say. Now, I don't know much about real estate, so you guys got to bear with me on what I'm talking about. So we've found the land. And then I also know that I want my house to look a, a certain way, and I don't think I can just find that in a, in a pre-built booklet because I'm struggling right now. But you should see um, my page, uh, my phone. I have pictures of all types of different houses, and I want different pieces from each house <laughs> to make my <laughs> to make my house. You said, "What have I learned?" I learned that I don't know a lot. I don't know anything. <laughs> That's what I learned. I learned that it's it's not easy. And I thought that I thought that we would be um broke have broken ground by now, but we haven't. I learned that I, I'm learning that. You know, there's a lot of moving parts of this thing when, you, when, you, when you're trying to build from the ground up, you know, finding the right architect to execute your 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 desire and then finding the contractor that can do it, you know, a good, a, a right front time frame for the right amount of money, you know, and then all the things that I want. And then I, I haven't even thought about the designer and all that stuff. It's just a lot. I see, I feel stressed right now. I'm sorry. We're just thinking it about it. It's a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> It's a lot of work and you definitely need to surround yourself with the right people and get yourself a team so that you don't have to, um, so that you can just, you know, kind of point and yes and no, yes, no, yes, no. Kind of take some of the stress out. It's like planning, it's like planning a wedding. I was just thinking you know that, Courtney, I mean? like you need a wedding planner. Yeah. I had a wedding planner for that. So, I mean. Well, she, she clearly yeah. has the interior, you know, help I got that ready. part. But who's the house? Yeah. part unlock. <laughs> that is so exactly. funny. Well, congratulations. <laughs> oh, thanks. Where where can our listeners find you? Uh, where can uh, are you accepting new patients? And if there are people in the uh, Nashville area, where can we find you? 
I'm always accepting new patients. Um, I'm here to serve. Where can you find me? Uh, Meharry Medical College. You want the phone number? No. Yeah. No. Give us the phone number. <laughs> no. Just, they can just Google. It we can Google it. Oh, can do, okay. Meharry Medical yeah, Google College. It. It's um, the women. Yeah, put it out there. Women's. I was a women's women's health clinic, and um, all my patients come through there. And I deliver at National General Hospital as well. You have a social media. Like and my like surgeries are done at General Hospital. Do you have a social media you would like to share? It's private. Oh, it's private. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. It's. We'll cut that part out. It's not, well, it's okay because I, I accept you or maybe I won't accept you. Depending, <laughs> on my, depending on how I'm feeling at the time. So it's Dr. Underscore Gel, G-E-L. Dr. Angelica Garrett-Wood uh, for coming on this show. We really appreciate you uh, for giving us your time. And it's been it's been amazing just to to hear the expertise and hear from your perspective, someone that looks like us, someone that's of our generation, and just a powerful episode. So we really appreciate you for your time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm proud of what you guys are doing. All right. Thank you, Gels. Are you going to build a house? Good evening. <laughs> Hi, guys. That's all. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>